Thank you for listening to KDNK. This show was previously recorded in July of 2018. This is Bill Kite, and you're listening to KDNK's public affairs program for land's sake. Today, we're privileged to have with us um, Elizabeth Fortnier. Elizabeth, are you there? I am here. Yes, yes. Thank you very much for uh, being with us. Appreciate that very much, and uh, we look forward to having a good a good time today. Uh-huh. Elizabeth is the author of the Green Burial Guidebook, and uh, it's according to the cover of the book, it's everything you need to plan an affordable, environmentally friendly burial. So, Elizabeth, how did you get started with uh, with uh, being interested in uh, in gr- the green uh, burials? Well, I have the privilege of being the undertaker of Boring, Oregon, and that's a real place in Oregon. I'm 20 miles outside of Portland. It's extremely rural here, and my funeral home is a repurposed goat barn out in the country. Um, I have people around me who are very similar. They just sort of have an area on land or very, very rural, and families tend to want to keep their loved ones at home. They tend to also not understand why they need to buy a space at a local cemetery if they own acreage. So little by little, I've been allowing our neighbors to become trees in their own yards. It's been pretty fantastic of a journey. So how how big is uh, Boring, Oregon? Pretty small. Uh, one gas station, <laughs> okay. if that helps. I think, yeah, yeah, about 3,000 people. Not very big. And now, I'm also in an unincorporated area of Boring, so I am about four miles out of the town. So it's just me in a repurposed goat barn, and there's a you know a seed and feed and a little mom-and-pop store. So it's very small. Our mail gets delivered in old country jeeps. It's oh, really fun. Great. I, I love it. I understand you're married and have a daughter? I do. I have a daughter, and I have lots of rescue goats and sheep. All so right. that's a lot of fun, too. Yeah. you got to do something when you're out in the country, right? Yeah, absolutely, for sure. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I guess the first question to ask is, is, what is a green burial, so that people know what we're talking about? A green burial is something that we all did 150 years ago. Before the Civil War came and before embalming came into vogue, we always have our loved ones buried in a little church down the street or a little cemetery down the street or in our backyards, we would have that person not embalmed. They wouldn't be in a metal casket or in a fancy hardwood casket, and they wouldn't spend the rest of eternity down in a grave which was surrounded by a concrete or a steel burial liner. So it's really taking out the idea of any chemicals, anything non-biodegradable, getting rid of everything toxic, and just having a natural body that's deceased laid on the land and have them in the grave space in a shroud or in a simple casket or something really sustainable. You know, I uh, as, a, as a child, I watched my grandmother pass away um, and watched uh, the doctor actually made house calls at that time. And that was an experience I'll never forget. It, it wasn't uh, um, really sad for me. I remember she lay there and looked up, opened her eyes and said, I see the angels coming for me. And I'll never forget that. So I think people miss out today in, in our age we live in that seems to not even want to talk about death. Uh, miss, they miss out on that experience, I think, you know, exactly, uh, unfortunately. That's a beautiful memory. And I'm really glad as a child you had that because that probably allowed you 
to take your steps forward into life and maybe not be so fearful of the end of life or somebody passing away. It doesn't have to be this horrible thing we see in movies. It can merely be someone you love taking a last breath and then us kind of coming to terms with it. And why do you think that we've gotten away from uh, what cultures have practiced over thousands and thousands of years in, in this society we live in? Remember back in the day when we used to have a home which had a really large living room. The reason why houses were built like that was that was our front parlor. So I'm using the word parlor here because it really was our in-home funeral parlor. The reason for that room is when somebody passed away, we could have our loved ones bathed and dressed and placed there. So families and friends, relatives, church mates, whomever could come and say the last goodbyes and spend the time and have those moments of reverence. From there, there was always a large door off that parlor, and that was made specifically for the casket or the cart to get out the door, and we could bring that person just down the street to their resting place or maybe in the backyard, next farm over, whatever you want to do. That changed a lot with, of course, I mentioned the Civil War before, because we had embalming. We need to get our boys home, also our beloved President Lincoln, we wanted to put him on a funeral train and have a procession, so he was involved. With the cool trend of that, we had schooling and education. We had funeral homes come into vogue. And then we really took caring for our loved ones and having them there on private land away from families. We had the funeral industry grow and become very large and become what it is today. And so many people don't realize what rights they have. Your beautiful state of Colorado allows people to take care of their own loved ones, and it really allows them to be so much more hands-on than people even know nowadays. And uh, if people want to check that information, it is is available online. If you just uh, Google burial and cremation laws in Colorado, you'll get uh, exactly what's allowed in Colorado, and you'll find that there's a lot probably there that you didn't know about that uh, we do uh, have a, a fortunate uh, thing to live in Colorado here. Um, what uh, what about making plans for, for, you know, the afterlife? Because most of us don't even think about, want to deal with, uh, with us dying especially, but our, our friends and loved ones. But it is important to make a plan, isn't it? Yeah, communication really is key. It's really important to, first off, know who your next of kin is, because that's the person who will be legally responsible to sign on the dotted line or choose your method of disposition for you when you no longer are alive to do so. Talking with that person and telling them what your wishes are, and maybe not being so exorbitant by saying, I would love my ashes scattered into a Hawaiian volcano, but to be a little bit more down to earth and a little bit more realistic by saying, well, since I live in Colorado, I realize I can have a water cremation. I can have a standard cremation. I can possibly be buried on my own land because how it reads in Colorado is you're pretty much permitted to discuss this with someone who manages your land with the city or the county and just check in with the laws to see what you can do. Um, some families have an idea what they want as far as a specific church or what a ceremonial piece looks like. Others might want to have a specific shroud or a sheet off their favorite bed or their sleeping bag. But once you are no longer alive, nobody knows these wishes and thoughts. One thing I tell people is do not mark all of this down and put it in your safety deposit box. 
because people don't get into your safety deposit box until after they have a certified copy of a death certificate, which proves you've died, which means somebody's been into a funeral home, they've already made your arrangements. So it really defeats the purpose, doesn't it? It does. And and I think, too, a lot of people don't have any sort of plan for if something happens, uh, you know, who's going to be the medical power of attorney. And it's real quite quite simple to get the five wishes and, and put that in as well as your plan for how you'd like your service conducted. You know, you mentioned uh, embalming earlier. That's really not a uh, it's really pretty uh, not not very friendly to the earth, is it? No, embalming sure is not. We find that in all the cemeteries, um, there's about 800,000 gallons of formaldehyde annually. Um, they could fill a million Olympic swimming pools every year. I mean, that's really a lot to think about. That is toxic material. They say a lot of the embalmers have higher levels of brain, colon, and prostate cancer, as well as leukemia. It really takes about three pounds of formalin, which is the main um, chemical there in formaldehyde to embalm a body, and that really sends hundreds of gallons of untreated funeral waste directly into the sewage system. I mean, think about that. The blood, the fecal matter, the organ fluid, the carcinogenic chemicals, all that's going down the drain, and none of that's necessary. There's very few rules that actually allow you the, the force of having to embalm somebody. It really isn't something that all bodies need. It isn't something you need to be viewed or to be buried. It's very rare that you even need to legally do that process. In in doing a, a home burial, or you know, you can actually bury uh, someone in your on your own land, but you need you need a lot of help. I noticed that in your book that this isn't something you just just do by yourself. You you really do need help. You, could you discuss that a little bit about uh, what that actually means? Sure, and I can give you that in story form, too. There was a man who knew his wife was going to pass away. She was under hospice care. She had many stages of cancer, and she was at the end of her life. She really wanted to be buried out in their backyard in the middle of the bamboo. And he thought that was a wonderful idea. Um, He was going to take care of it himself. He said, this is my last thing I can do for her. Rather than, you know, buy the expensive headstone and buy the beautiful, expensive bronze casket. He's going to merely dig her a space and thatch together some sort of a burial container and take care of all this. Well, I always tell people it really takes a village or a tribe to do these things. And he soon learned that after staying up with her for so many hours and helping her, he was just exhausted by the time she passed away. And he had to learn that he's not letting her down or letting her memory down. He merely is asking for what he needs. So to have people in line who can either help with transportation, either by physically moving somebody or somebody who has the correct vehicle to transport somebody. Maybe if you want somebody to be bathed or dressed, who are those people? Do you want a religious person or someone else to come and read a poem or play a song on a guitar? Um, Having others help you possibly even prepare a burial space. Or if you need to use a funeral home, how are you going to get the person there? Do you need someone to go with you to walk through the steps? The container you're going to make or to buy or to sew together, um, all of this takes energy and effort, and sometimes your grief is so thick and you really can't get out of grief's 
you know, grasp that it has on you. So having other people to rely on is a very important thing. And people always say when someone dies, well, what can I do for you? Or if you need anything, let me know. And this is a really perfect way to say, hey, what I really could need is can you call this doctor to see if this doctor will sign a death certificate or can you help me figure out online how I can buy a shroud, all of those sort of things. There's so many local local people and local references and resources and green people abound all over the place. I think it's just doing a little bit of research and knowing what you're up against. You know, one other thing that a lot of people, you know, is on their mind is uh, the cost of a of a standard uh, burial and, and the cost of the funeral director and everything else that comes with our modern burial methods. Um, what is it like to comparing uh, a modern burial to a green burial, cost-wise? Yeah, and I like how you call it a modern burial, because really the idea of embalming somebody and putting them in a metal casket and then putting them into some sort of a grave liner, which is going to keep the burial park looking sparkly and nice with the even soil, that's what we consider modern burial. A green burial or natural burial really is traditional burial. So let's say somebody's going to use a funeral home because they don't have private land, somebody died um, in an apartment and they just don't feel like they have adequate space to keep somebody in their house and they are going to call the funeral parlor and use a cemetery. Now, you have the right to look at the, the general price list and take a look and also ask questions. Um, you are welcome to bring your own casket or shroud or cardboard box for your loved one to be buried in. People don't know that. That cost cuts off such a cost by doing those things. You also can transport your loved one from where they passed away to the funeral home. That'll probably save you a couple hundred dollars, too. Um, you don't have to have that person embalmed. You probably don't have to have as much as an elaborate ceremony or the add-ons that the funeral home is probably going to sell you. And you can make your choices from there. So people don't realize that you have a lot of rights. You can ask questions. It's not being rude or being um, inappropriate. Um, this person is somebody to help, in, in fact, direct you. A funeral director is there to provide you with the information, provide you with the options, and give you full range of shoes. So if you are someplace where you feel like the person is trying to sell you package A or B and they're not allowing to give you the options and not really comfortable with the fact you're saying you might want to make your own pine box, then you also can have your loved one move to a different funeral home. That's really okay, too. Uh, you're listening to KDNK's public affairs program uh, for land's sake. And, uh, Elizabeth, uh, a question, too, that uh, a lot of people I, I know is on their mind about our, our carbon footprint. And they think cremation is, a, is an answer to um, the, the traditional uh, modern burial. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about the, even an alternative to make cremation uh, uh, better than what what it is and all the energy it uses? Sure. So... Standard cremation is what we consider the flame cremation. Um, the problem with that is we are using so much of fossil fuels to make that happen. We're heating up this oven for about two hours up to about 1,800 degrees, and we're using natural gas and electricity. We're releasing pollutants into the atmosphere, and really most significantly is the mercury in our filling. So where people say, well, I'm not taking up a lot of land by doing that, the reality is you're not putting your body into the land, but you're putting your body into the atmosphere, so it's sort of even that way. 
your state in Colorado, very hip, amazing state when it comes to so much of this, has said that, yes, we will go ahead and legalize alkaline hydrolysis, which is also an eco-cremation or a bio-cremation, water cremation, as a form of disposition. Mind you, there's only you know, 10, 12 states that are allowing this form of disposition to happen, and this is cremating somebody with water. So rather than the flame, what we're doing is we are putting a body in a chamber. It's filled with, and by a chamber, I mean like a stainless steel sort of tube. Right. Um, it's filled with water, and the water's pressurized only up to about 32, uh, 320 degrees Fahrenheit. Over a very short period of time, we have the body tissue broken down, and it's a process that's very similar to natural decomposition. And ultimately, everything will dissolve down to nothing but a skeleton in just a few hours. The skeleton is going to be the exact same as when you're doing the other cremation, meaning you're going to have the output of cremated remains that you can give back to family members. The beautiful thing about this is it's almost a zero-toxic emission scale. And there's probably one-tenth or even less of the carbon footprint as a standard cremation. So that's pretty amazing. So we find the water cremation or alkaline hydrolysis. Nobody has settled on the great, most fantastic name for this, but that really is the simplest option and probably the best option right behind natural burial. And I love uh, the picture in um, in your book on page 135 of you um, making an environmental-friendly and biodegradable urn because there still <laughs> remains left from the water uh, cremation as well, aren't, isn't there? Still, Yes, there's going to be some cremains left. And I found that when my daughter was really small, all this lint coming out of the dryer was really bright, fun colors. And I was thinking I should do something with this, like put it out for birds to make nests. Um, Earth Day was coming up. The, uh, in 2010, it was the 40th anniversary of Earth Day, and I thought about doing some sort of a fun project with the funeral home and really doing something which really helped the town and the county and the community. So I have a friend who's an artist in Portland. We decided to make these cremation urns, and I actually have a recipe how to make your own dryer lint urn in the book. And we made these, and her ca- her kitchen really kind of smelled like old sweat socks for a little while. <laughs> but nonetheless, it was really interesting to make these things and mold them and put them together. And we ended up giving them away to families in the community. Somebody liked one, and the neat thing was pretty soon people were calling and saying, hey, are you that funeral home that wants the lint? And people were donating <laughs> bags of lint, and what we were doing was making urns in their honor, like there was a local auto restoration place that was giving us lint. So we were calling it the um, Westcott Roadster was one model for, the, <laughs> <laughs> for uh, some of the urns. So it was really neat for the community to get involved and to know that there were some urns out there in the world that were named after them. And we live here in Carbondale in what's called a creative district that's uh, artists are just, you know, they flock to here and we have a lot of artists in residence here. And I think they would appreciate that artistic endeavor there of making uh, making yeah. the urn out of uh, out of a uh, dryer lint. Uh, the most important thing I think that I learned from uh, from your book is that whatever people decide uh, for their own funeral, that they need to decide and and start right now and not put it off. Um, could you talk yeah. a little bit about that? Sure, death is such a hard thing. Um, you know the process of it. 
the the energy, the effort, all of that that people just realize with grief and somebody leaving our life, but we are left with all of a sudden trying to figure out what our new normal is once that person's passed away. And it really it takes a lot of energy to mourn the loss of a loved one. So if you can have things in place, that really helps. And I don't mean necessarily go to your local funeral home and buy that casket and or have something laid away. It's just a matter of really knowing what you would like to do. And the first thing for people to talk about is, are you interested in being cremated or are you interested in being buried? And if you want to be cremated, then in Colorado, you can decide, do you want to do this by water? Do you want to do this the standard way? Or are you one of those really fortunate people who happen to live in Crestone <laughs> where you can go ahead and have the outdoor pyre? I think you might know this. South of you in Crestone, there is a wonderful project of the outdoor pyre where you can do cremations outside. Um, this was open to the public for a while, but now they expose it to people who just live locally because you have to permit it. And plus, the elevation is so high, um, you know, we only can maybe take care of one cremation a month. But that is such a really neat thing, and that is such a um, really just a just the, the starter of that. And knowing that that's legal in one state in the union, it just really inspires people greatly to, to do something else like that. If you want to have burial, then I suggest to people to figure out where you want your burial to happen. If you think you want that on private land, then get started to make sure your zoning is okay, figure out the space, who's going to bury and dig and do all of those things. Also, take a look at some of your grounds you have in Colorado. Um, fortunately, besides Crestone, the burial project down there, you also have a natural cemetery in Fort Collins. You also have one in Littleton, which is neat, and there's also hybrid cemeteries, which are around as well. Um, there's one in Evergreen. So... Also consider, if you aren't near any of those towns, there are some local small cemeteries, Oddfellow Cemeteries, Pioneer Cemeteries. You can merely call and say you want to have a burial, but not have a grave liner. And if they say, yeah, okay, well, I guess you don't need one, then boom, you've got a green burial, and it's yet another green burial cemetery. Then, of course, make sure you email or call me so I know, so I can put it in the next book. So that's really helpful to know. And one really neat thing about talking to people about this is I'm finding out that there's more and more cemeteries that are so happy to have somebody come and be buried there that they can eschew the grave liner because to them it doesn't really matter. It's just there's something that's been on the books as a rule, but, you know, the rules are meant to be changed sometimes. Rules are meant to be changed, aren't they? And and I think, uh, you know, it's it's going to become a movement. I, I feel that uh, green burial practices are... And, and Carbondale is a good place to start uh, for those people uh-huh. who are interested. Uh, I'd like to say we, we're coming here into a period of just a huge downpour. So if we go off the air, you're going to know why. Um, also, we've got just a couple minutes left here. Could you tell us about your new book? Because it, it you have a title called the you're called sometimes the Green uh, Reaper. So <laughs> you you have a book yeah. out. Uh, you, could you want to tell us about that in the last couple of minutes? Oh, Thank you. So a year ago, I published a memoir called The Green Reaper, and it's about my life in the funeral industry. And I got into the industry 28 years ago by living in a cemetery, and I went from working in the corporate world and the Catholic Church and working that way through cemeteries and funeral homes to being the Green Reaper out in Boring, Oregon. And it's sort of the journey a female went through in the 90s when there was hardly any funeral directors that were women, to now, where it's about 60-70% women, and what it's like to be the Green Reaper, which is the uh, more environmental, natural 
name for the Grim Reaper. Right. I appreciate that. And your books can be purchased at Amazon, can't they, for people that uh, are looking to yeah. learn more about this? You know, what I like about that is it's a low-carbon footprint to just open up your laptop and click a button. I also like people supporting local stores, but if you want to not put gas in the air and if you want to keep Carbondale as carbon neutral as possible, that might be a good way to do it. And we unfortunately don't have a, a bookstore here in uh, in Carbondale anymore, and uh, so yeah, it might be the Ooh, easiest thing for people to do. That. I know it's uh, it's a sad state. <laughs> um, our closest bookstore is in, I believe, in uh, in Glenwood Springs. Um, anything you'd like to add here at the end of our show? Yes, I would ask people to remember that they need to be very gentle on themselves when somebody passes away. You need to drink water. You need to be around people who say kind things. And no matter what you choose when somebody passes and how to deal with the disposition, as long as you're honoring yourself and that person, you're doing a great job. Not everybody can go as green as they want. And if you just just think about a little bit or just going a shade of green, you'll just be doing great things for the environment. Listen, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show today, Elizabeth, and uh, thank you so much. Thank you very much, Bill.